It's the 6th of June, 2015, and this is episode 219. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts. Just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Twenty fourteen was arguably the year of multi-signature and hierarchical deterministic wallets in Bitcoin, two major innovations that are beginning to impact every aspect of the Bitcoin ecosystem. I thought it was the year of the booty. <laughs> what? Sorry. Sorry. What? <laughs> well, this is the the do you guys didn't hear about that? No. It's the year of the, the booty. <laughs> Never mind. Like, like <laughs> it went right over your heads. Just yeah, kidding. Sorry. completely. I, I don't <laughs> no, because like all these pop like stars have big butts, and like it became cool to have a big butt instead of being like an ob- a thing of shame. Like you're too fat. You know. All right, all right. Well, well. So it seems like clearly there are two things that happened in 2014. <laughs> It was multi-sig and butts. I was specifically talking about Bitcoin, although arguably Bitcoin's entire social community has been heavily influenced by Botcoin. So therefore, I can see the connection. My impression is that 2015 will become the year of micropayments. And we're beginning to see a lot of activity in the micropayment space, especially around a technology called payment channels. And payment channels have already been used for a number of different projects or proposed for a number of different projects. And we're seeing a lot of development in this space. For example, the Lightning Project, which is a payment channel solution that can enable microtransactions and off-blockchain transactions is proposed as a potential solution to the block size limits and a way to reduce the burden on the blockchain for a lot of the smaller transactions. We've seen a friend of our show here, Chris Ellis, has launched a Pro Tip, which is a decentralized tipping platform. Just a week ago, a group of incredibly talented developers from Buenos Aires, Argentina, including Manuel Arauz and Esteban and uh, a few others, I, I don't remember all the names, launched Streamium. And Streamium is a platform for streaming video and receiving payments by the second micropayments, essentially, again, using payment channels to enable per second billing. We've seen another proposal by Mike Hearn getting traction for per second billing payment channels. And one of the potential applications for that is in renting space on a Wi-Fi access point. Again, payments by the second in a decentralized way that doesn't require you to have an account set up. All of these technologies share this common theme. They're using different variations of the of the concept of a payment channel, which aggregates lots of little payments into, into a few larger transactions. And they're all bringing forth the promise of microtransactions in Bitcoin. And the reason I find this extremely exciting is because 
Unlike many of the previous applications we've seen in Bitcoin, micropayments are something that you can't do with any other payment network out there. So this is truly a unique niche, potentially a killer app, where the only way to do this is to have a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. So the reason why microtransactions have not taken off to this point has a lot to do with the per-transaction transaction fee. And the solution that you're talking about, whether it be the Lightning Network or one of these others, doesn't do that. Like you said, it's aggregating lots of transactions into a single transaction or, or to fewer transactions. How does it do that without impacting decentralization? How does it do that without requiring me to trust somebody who isn't the Bitcoin blockchain? Actually, Adam, I was going to say the exact same thing. This is the big issue with any kind of off-chain transaction is what's the trade-off between potentially centralization and convenience and enabling micropayments to happen? Satoshi was talking about kind of like what you just mentioned, like streaming video, paying for Wi-Fi access by the minute or little payments, buying little small things on websites. Satoshi was talking about that way back at the beginning of Bitcoin and the value of Bitcoin has changed since then. So Satoshi was sort of thinking of it in terms of, well, you'd send one Bitcoin for 10 minutes of video or something like that. Obviously, the transaction fees at some point did sort of become prohibitive for those little transactions to really be feasible. And also there's the aspect of not wanting to introduce the idea of a trusted third party. If you have to trust some website to hang on to your Bitcoin and then sort of move some out of your account, depending on when you get billed, that's a little more trust than some people in the Bitcoin community are comfortable with. And it kind of defeats the purpose of Bitcoin, if you consider that the purpose of Bitcoin. Yeah, what do we do? Payment channels solve this problem by introducing a decentralized way of making lots of little payments and aggregating them into account. The way this works is using two core features of the Bitcoin protocol or at least one of them is core. The other one's more recent. And those are multi-signatures and n-lock time. Multi-signatures introduced in early 2013. N-lock time was, was part of the design since I believe 2010 or it might even go before then. Multi-sig I think everybody is familiar with at this point. N-lock time is essentially the ability to post-date a transaction. So the ability to say, Here's a transaction, it's fully signed, but it is not valid until some point in the future. You can either define that in a number of blocks or in a number of seconds. That transaction will not be mined until that time in the future arrives. So the way you combine this is something I've talked about before. I've also talked about it using a similar system to do refundable escrow for buying products, so you can do consumer protection. But the, the idea is really simple. What you do is you create a multi-sig transaction that transfers a fairly large amount from Alice to Bob. Essentially, you fund that multi-sig address, and then you have a transaction from that multi-sig address that refunds Alice. But that transaction is post-dated, say 30 days into the future. In order to make micropayments from Alice to Bob, you exchange signed transactions for just the, the small amount that needs to be done, but you don't actually process those until you want to settle the account, if you like. So the original transaction locks, let's say, a Bitcoin into the payment channel. That Bitcoin will be refunded in the future if nothing happens. And then 
you do micropayments by creating intermediary transactions, essentially, that distribute the funds to Bob on a micropayment basis. Essentially, you've made an overall commitment of one Bitcoin, and then you make micro-commitments in the meantime. At the end of the day, you only execute one transaction for the aggregate traffic back and forth in that payment channel. Can we just stop for a minute? Because I actually didn't know about this, but that's really cool and useful. I was just thinking of the last time I post-dated a check and it didn't work out. They actually cashed it before <laughs> before I had dated it and didn't have a cash flow issue on that one, but could have easily. So this is kind of a way better system. Because NLOC time is a consensus rule. So a transaction is not valid if its NLOC time has not yet passed. It's not valid by the consensus rules on the network. So if you post-date a Bitcoin transaction using NLOC time, you cannot mine that transaction into a block. No one can mine that transaction into a block because that block will not be a valid block because it is not a valid transaction unless the NLOC time has passed. So you've got a guarantee there. And because you have that guarantee together with the guarantee of multi-signatures, you can enable this payment channel. Now, payment channels are not a new technology. They've been discussed now for, I guess, about two years, maybe a bit more. Uh, What's interesting is now we're seeing um, additional innovation piled on top of that. So the Lightning Network is an extension of payment channels. Where payment channels only happens between two people, the Lightning Network allows you to set up a sort of hub-and-spoke system of multiple interlinked payment channels for micropayments between multiple parties, all guaranteed in a completely decentralized fashion by this combination of multi-signature and post-dated transactions. It's some really fancy and very smart math, and it works. Lightning Network is still in the proposal stage, but payment channels are currently implemented in a number of different applications, one of which is for example, Streamium. So with Streamium, what you do is you commit upfront a certain amount of money. Let's say you have a video that it charges $15 an hour to watch. And you want to watch some of that video, but you don't know how much time you want to watch. You don't know how much you're going to end up watching and you don't want to pay in advance for all of it. So what you do is you basically commit. Let's say you commit $15 but you also provide a refund address for whatever unused time you have. You're not actually charged that money yet. It's just locked up in a multi-sig transaction. You start watching the video. You're effectively billed by the second. And at the end of it, a single transaction records the actual amount of time you watched and how much you should pay. And the rest of it is returned to you in a refund. Um, And so that way you can get billed by the second. The provider of the stream is guaranteed that they will get paid for the seconds that you watch. You're guaranteed that you will get a refund for the seconds you didn't watch. The entire thing doesn't have to happen with a per second transaction, so you're still getting the micropayment effect, but only a single transaction goes into the network. It's like a micro micropayment. It's even beyond, you know, micropayments, I think, you know, if you could just purchase a single video and it costs 25 cents or something like that, that strikes me as a micropayment. What we're talking about here is more of like a, a metered usage pre-auth. I don't even know necessarily. It's a payment channel. (laughs) Well, exactly. But you could use this over longer periods of time. It doesn't have to be real time. For example, you could set up a payment channel between myself as a reader and let's talk Bitcoin content, put aside a Bitcoin or a tenth of a Bitcoin 
for reading Let's Talk Bitcoin content. And then over 30 days, do a lot of microtransactions, you know, one cent, two cent, three cent for pieces of content that I'm reading on Let's Talk Bitcoin. And essentially at the end of the month, settle up with a single transaction in a way that's decentralized. You know, the, the key here is that I'm not prepaying Let's Talk Bitcoin. I'm not giving the money over to Let's Talk Bitcoin and then hoping for a refund later. Essentially, I'm providing signatures on per content basis for each one of these microtransactions, and none of them go through until the end of the period. Essentially, that gives me full control over the micropayments. The money is effectively held in escrow. Let's Talk Bitcoin can't take more than I've given them in the payment channel, and I will settle up at the end of the month. So you can use it real time, but you can also use it for bits of content. What's the dispute process, though? What happens if there's a dispute like, oh, yeah, I didn't read 20 articles, but Let's Talk Bitcoin is saying I did. Well, no, it doesn't work that way, because every time you read an article, you sign a a microtransaction, if you like, into the payment channel. But that transaction doesn't get recorded on the blockchain. In the end, all of it's aggregated into a single transaction. So essentially, you have this overall agreement that has the, the full amount that's been authorized. But if you're issuing a bunch of little changes to that, but not submitting them to the Bitcoin blockchain, then how does the system or how does the network know which is the actual correct one? Why couldn't I, as a user, submit the one from you know the second day of a 30-day contract? Let me describe it in a bit more detail. So first of all, let's say I'm putting a Bitcoin into escrow into this payment channel, right? A whole Bitcoin. Now, I put it into a multi-signature escrow. We both sign a refund for the full Bitcoin a month from now. I then use a piece of content. So I sign a transaction for a thousandth of a Bitcoin that pays from this multi-signature address to Let's Talk Bitcoin. Let's Talk Bitcoin receives this transaction. They can countersign it and submit it, in which case they get paid a tenth of a Bitcoin. Or they can wait. I read another piece of content. Two days later, I sign a new transaction that spends the same Bitcoin, only this time gives you two thousandths of a Bitcoin. So it pays for both of the pieces of content. Now you hold that transaction anytime you want. You can sign it, cash it in, or you can wait. I read a third piece of content. I now sign for three thousandths of a Bitcoin because I've read three pieces of content. That means you can give me that third piece of content because you now have enough to make that payment if you wished. So both parties are re-signing the transaction every time it is updated. So does that require me as the person who is receiving it to actually make a signature? Is this an automated process that's handled by the platform? It's an automated process that's handled by the platform, but we're not signing the same transaction over and over again. We're essentially creating a, a new transaction based on the same locked up money each time for more and more and more settlement of the micropayment. If this goes against the agreement that we had, then that I would reject the updated one that you've sent to me, and I would just broadcast the one that was the last good one that we actually agreed upon. If something goes wrong Correct. on either side of this equation, either party can do that. Correct. And so in the meantime, you can decide if you're going to give me more content by having me pledge more money from this multi-sig address in payment to you by signing a bigger amount over to you, and that's why you would give me more content. Okay, Um, so the end lock time then is important here because it prevents the buyer, it prevents the person who makes the deposit from redeeming their deposit, getting it back before the period at which it's supposed to come back. Right. So on day one, I put the money into escrow and we both sign a 30-day refund for the entire amount. 
on day two, I sign a thousandth of that amount over to you with a 29-day delay. On day three, I sign two thousandths of that amount with a 28-day lock. And on the last day, I sign the entire amount over with a zero-day lock. You can then choose which of these to cash. So we, we always maintain a stable balance. Where are these transactions stored that aren't immediately being processed? Like, are they in the nodes in the Bitcoin network, in the pool of unmined transactions, or are they on the nope. client? Are they, where are they? Let's Talk Bitcoin would basically hold them in basically a pool, a storage pool. So they're not on the Bitcoin network? No. They okay. hold these partial transactions, partially signed in a pool, and these act as a guarantee of future payment. And then at the end of the month, they take the one that corresponds to the content that the other person has watched, the last one really, which serves as settlement for the entire amount, discard all of the others, countersign that last one, inject it into the network, and essentially make the one transaction that settles the entire bill for the month. So they better not lose those in the month. Yes, it's a pretty smart system. And you can introduce all kinds of other tricks into there. You could have more than two parties. You could have a third party acting as escrow for refunds. You could have all kinds of things like that. Or based on the Lightning Network, you can do this in a complete hub and spoke system where you have multiple participants participating in the pool, which makes it even more efficient. It's a bit more complicated to explain, but imagine if 100 readers of Let's Talk Bitcoin content all pledged money into a single multi-signature address, and then each one partially signed a transaction for the balance to Let's Talk Bitcoin in increments for every piece of content they watched or read or listened to. So these technologies really represent a, a culmination of two building blocks in Bitcoin used in a very, very smart and innovative mashup together producing a very novel way of doing micropayments without the burden of huge fees, without the burden on the blockchain of having lots and lots and lots of transactions, while making it extremely flexible for end users to do this. And these technologies are now going into production for real uses like watching videos. Uh, and soon I, I'm hoping things like renting Wi-Fi time. Uh, and, and what's really exciting about all of this technology is that these are things you simply can't do with traditional payment systems. So we're beginning to see really the areas of innovation in Bitcoin beginning to push into areas that have never been done before. Are there any gotchas from using this? Because I mean, thinking about it, you know, the concerns that I basically had were around centralization or control or the ability, you know, lacking a blockchain to actually make sure people are staying honest. How are people going to do that? But, you know, but uh, because both parties hold the tool necessary to make the entire transaction chain valid, you know, they can't act unilaterally without the uh, other party agreeing. It seems like that actually isn't so much of a problem here. So are there any threats or, or issues that have, have already been identified? There's all kinds of scenarios that you could think of, but the underlying guarantees provided by multi-signature and, and lock time and the fact that these are then validated by the consensus rules of the network can be used as trust primitives to build these more complex services in a way that is completely trusted, but at the same time, completely decentralized. It strikes me that this might even be more decentralized than the way that we do things now, because while now the unspent transactions is essentially a centralized pool, it's a decentralized, centralized pool, 
of this value. And so if you move all of these things or you move a lot of the transactions onto these payment channels, they're not broadcasting up to the network. So the visibility of the network seems like it, you know, I'm not right. I'm, I'm not sure if that's right. <laughs> what you're doing here is you're taking the settlements and, and moving parts of it into an even more decentralized peer to peer system. You could envision using this for a lot of things, not just micropayments. You could use the same payment channel technology to offer essentially consumer protection in the form of time-triggered refunds and third-party escrow and arbitration services. So you could do a payment channel between three parties, whereby you pay a merchant for flat-screen TV, and as part of that payment, you have an automatic 30-day refund. Or you time-delay the payment so that your, your payment only executes automatically in 30 days if there isn't a dispute. So the merchant knows that they will get their money in 30 days if there's no dispute. But if there is a dispute, then a third party can step in and do an escrow transaction to essentially refund the consumer. You could put the burden either way you want. So you can create a very sophisticated, programmable consumer protection. That's what I like to call it, programmable consumer protection. And this is really sophisticated tools can be built on top of this. And we're beginning to see really all of these building blocks of trust being recombined into these novel combinations. And the innovation is amazing. Streamium means that you can now do things like citizen journalism for pay. You could do sports events without the big channels monopolizing the situation. You could do peer-to-peer music performances or concerts where the viewers pay directly for this without having to make a huge commitment. You know, you don't have to buy the Manu Pacao Mayweather entire thing for $99.99. You can buy three seconds of it or you can, you can commit to the whole thing and then only watch three seconds and only pay for three seconds. You have all of this flexibility now, no doubt. The first application is probably going to be porn. As always, that drives a lot of technology, but the possibilities are really endless as to what you could do with per second billing on any platform with these micropayments. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode was provided by Andreas, Stephanie, and Adam. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. The magic word for episode 219 is off. That's O-F-F. Off. You've got until about 10 a.m. Pacific time on the 13th of June to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener awards. See you next time.